This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by the Trek Geek Shop. Now you can help support our show and get yourself some cool Star Trek gear at the same time. Check out our line of t-shirts, mugs, hats, and other items for your inner Trek geek at shop.trekgeeks.com. Hi, this is Paul Lang, Captain Harrison Hawk from Star Trek Horizon, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of any Iconian gateway. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome, everyone, to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. Welcome to episode number 86. We're really excited you're here. We uh, we have what we hope is a great show on tap for you today, talking about one of you know, our favorite episodes. And when I say our, that means I have a co-host. You know, you may not know this, but he is a true keeper of the faith among fans. He is someone that is making the Star Trek that CBS just won't make. He is executive producer Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. Well, thank you for the promotion, first of all. And you're such a hater. What a drama I, queen. <laughs> I'm just a low-end podcaster. Well, you so. know, well, that's why I'm here, to help bring it up to the level that it needs to be at now that I'm executive producer. So we're going to get together when we're done recording. We're going to go over a few things, and I might bring an empty box with me for you. So we'll talk wow. later. Okay. I can only hope that your <laughs> guidance and your expertise as a content creator will help write this ship, buddy. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> it is good to be here. We got a fun episode. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. It is going to be a fun-filled hour plus because I have a feeling we might go over a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. You know, we were thinking about you know which TOS episode should we talk about this week. You know, with the 50th anniversary, you're drawing to a close and... This one just seemed like a, like an easy decision for both of us. We didn't really hesitate about it. So do you want to tell people what it is? Sure. Now? Like yeah, oh, like now? Yes. Yeah, we are going to deep dive into what both of us ranked as, I believe, in our top th- three or four uh, in our last episode. We're doing Doomsday Machine today, baby. It's going to be fun. Oh, I, I thought it was in The Children Shall Lead. No, we're saving the best Star Trek episode ever for next week. You mean Jim Morehouse's favorite Star Trek episode ever. <laughs> ever. Ever. Yeah. TrekRanks.com. Check it out. Nice plug. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> we had a great time talking to Jim a couple of weeks ago. We hope everybody had a safe and happy holiday weekend in the United States. Dan and I took some much-needed family time. And honestly, if I had to talk to you one more weekend in a row, I think I was going to jump off a building. So, well, Yeah. Okay, I'll keep that in mind for next time we have a break and cancel it now that I'm EP. Well, Dan, now that you're EP, you don't get out of making the contact 
announcement. So why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with us? Absolutely. Happy to. On Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, our handle is Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com. Additionally, give us a call at 508-784-1701 and leave us a voicemail. Or you can do the same thing by going to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks on your mobile device. And Bill, did you know that we have an official Facebook group now? We do? We do. It's Camp Kittimer. We got a lot of great discussion out there. We got a lot of people, lots of people joining lately. Like we're clicking that accept button like all the time. So uh, All the time. All the time. Come on over. Uh, you're going to get early access to the episodes of the Trek Geek podcast st- starring executive producer Dan Davidson. And you're going to get them before they're released. Oh, Bill Smith's in there too. Um, but uh, to join the group, just go over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And Bill. Dan. Please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Back to you. Thank you, Dan. That was a great job. Wow. That I, that was like, that was intense. Well, I get that way. You know, I've got coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, we should uh, take this moment right now to announce the winner of our Star Trek Beyond Ultimate Blu-ray gift set winner. Yeah. While we were away, we, we drew that name uh, from all of the entries into the contest. Remember, people had to share our episode 00 on social media with their friends. And uh, the lucky winner was Dean from Oregon. He won the the Blu-ray gift set. We'll be sending it out to him shortly. And um, we hope he enjoys it. Remember, it's got the three ships. It's got the Enterprise, the Franklin, and the Swarm Ship. Swarm Ship. And Swarm Ship. Yeah. And uh, we hope Dean watches the heck out of that thing. Absolutely. And we want to thank everybody who uh, helped spread the Trek geek love. It was pretty awesome to see all of those shares. It was pretty cool. It really was. We truly appreciate it. This has been a huge year for us. You know, we... We've stopped thanking everybody for helping us have the best month ever because every month, Dan, has been the best month ever as far as downloads for this podcast. And it, uh, it's all thanks to everybody who listens. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself, so I won't say it. Okay. Well, what you should tell us about, if you'll remember back when we did the Seat or Skip It for Deep Space Nine Season 1 a couple of episodes back, you committed to rewatching the episode Move Along Home, which both Brooke Wilkins and I said was a see-it. Um, I want to ask you now, sir, did you follow through on that commitment? I did follow through on that commitment. I did rewatch it. And you I will you give it a fresh eye. So what do you think about it in hindsight? It's still not one of the best ones, but I do have to admit it's a good Quark episode. Um, the storyline is better than I would have said in the past. So, Bill, I am switching my vote to a see it. Wow. Yeah, I um, uh, I did look at it with a fresh set of eyes. There are some roll your eye moments, like when Bashir is like leaning up against the wall with his arms up over his head, and he's yelling like he's trying to wake himself up from a bad dream. Yeah, that was a little lame. Um, of course, the hopscotch is always going to be lame, but now I get the song in my head. So, um, <laughs> but I got to say, Joel Brooks uh, does a really good job uh, as the head Waddy. Uh, so I'm, ch- I, you talked me into looking at it again, and I looked at it again, and yeah, there we go. See it. That, that's phenomenal. I'm, yeah. I'm really impressed. Did I think you, I have a. Go ahead. Did you at least see the? The possibility for it to have been a TOS episode in my mind? Yes, I did see that. I, could, I actually thought to myself, I said, oh, yeah, I could see this Kirk McCoy Spock type thing going on. I absolutely could. Um, 
it was it was interesting. I also did like at the very beginning the the father and son discussion uh, between Jake and Cisco, and and yes. when he's really irritated about having to hang out in the bar for six hours and do nothing, he gets home and he's just like snapping at Jake. I thought that was great. It's kind of reminded me like me and you a little bit. Wait, which person am I in this analogy? Uh, exactly. I'll let you think about that for a while. Should I start buying <laughs> ugly sweaters? <laughs> I got a couple <laughs> in the closet. I'll let you borrow. <laughs> No, it was good. I, I'm glad we. Wa- I'm glad I watched it again. And uh, and uh, for all those people that uh, uh, say it's bad, do what I did and rewatch it with an open mind. And I think you might be pleasantly surprised. Fair enough. With that, we will move along to the next segment. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Could you sound a little more excited for treknews.net? Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. Alpha Quadrant. What was that? Was that... Was that Spock's mind meld from Star Trek 2009? <laughs> yes. Waiting for me. <laughs> that was good. I like that. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrant, looking for all of the news in the Star Trek universe and bringing it to you is treknews.net online at treknews.net. That's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. It's an amazing place. It's so cool that domain was available for that. I love it. Dan, we've got a whole bunch of news this week, and we've got some some top-loaded discovery news up front. Right off the bat, there was a very big cast announcement this week. Yes, there was. Very big. Um, Just before this, uh, we're going to clump it all together, but uh, there have been three uh, big names announced for the cast of Discovery. We're very excited about them. Uh, First off, Michelle Yeoh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I hope I am has been cast as uh, Captain Georgiou, or Georgiou. I'm not really sure of the pronunciation of that either. But I do know that she is the captain of the USS Shenzhou. Uh, so we have our first captain, quote-unquote. Um, very excited about that. And then the news that really we were just, like, giddy about was uh, Doug Jones has been cast to play an alien science officer by the name of Lieutenant Saru. If I'm getting that, see the pronunciations are just not not going with me today, uh, but that's okay. Well, they they certainly haven't picked you know normal easy names like Riker right. or Data right. <laughs> or, or Cisco Smith. Yeah, Smith. Yeah, that's in Smith red shirt. Um, and the and also uh, Anthony Rapp has been cast to play a Starfleet science officer, astromycologist, fungal expert, fungus expert, uh, by the name of Lieutenant. Stamets, but it's also been reported that he will be playing Lieutenant Samuels, so we're not sure on the name on that, but huge news. It's finally starting to come together. We've got crew members, we've got stars that uh, we're very excited about being in Discovery, and they're going to start filming in a month, dude. Next month, January. So this is December now. Treknews.net reported yesterday that filming starts in January. That's just a few weeks away, if you think about it. It's awesome. We, I can't wait to start getting this, the leaked snapshots of the set. I was <laughs> excited when they announced Michelle Yeoh um, because she's she's an amazing actress. I mean, granted, a lot of people think, well, she's just done you know Asian fighting movies, and that's not true. 
She's done some mm-hmm. great drama, and she's wanted to branch out into different types of stories for some time. And I think this will allow her to do that. Doug Jones, I am equally oh. excited about. Oh. He, that guy is amazing in whatever he's in. Um, and I think he'll be a fantastic addition to the Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I am equally as excited about Anthony Rapp. I mean, people who've been following Broadway for a long time know that he was in Rent, and, a, and he's you know, been on Broadway for for ages, it seems. But the fact that he's now coming to, to Star Trek, I thought, is super exciting. And he's definitely immersing himself in doing a deep dive. <laughs> yeah, that was a great tweet. He posted out a picture of himself with every DVD set of every series on his table, saying that he was getting ready to get into the Star Trek universe. So that's Thanks. awesome. Including the animated series. Yeah, that was the one that was in the very front of the picture. I was like, what? I know. I felt bad for it. (laughs) He'll like it anyway. (laughs) Well, Dan, in additional Discovery news, after those two bits of, of, you know, little little tidbits like cast and, and when it starts filming, theoretically, Star Trek Discovery could involve some different aspects, but we're not sure. Yeah, there's no definitive uh, yes or no on this. The question was posed, and uh, we could see nudity and or swearing in the new Star Trek Discovery on CBS All Access. Not a big deal to me. Um, I know that there's going to be a lot of people that say that's not Star Trek, but I don't know if I'd necessarily agree with that. It's Star Trek is, is life in that universe, and that happens in life. I agree with that. I mean, I, I think that Star Trek always being on regular television to some extent has has probably caused people to believe that that's not Star Trek. There, I have seen the argument made that Star Trek has always been something you could watch with your family, mm-hmm. and that's true. That is true. So I, I believe that 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 could impact it, you know, the possibility of family watching perhaps. But, you know, I go back to, was it like the mid nineties when Stargate first premiered on Showtime, Mm -hmm. the series Stargate. And there was nudity in the first season, I believe maybe it was the first two seasons. And it wasn't long before that, that Stargate was canceled by Showtime and and got picked up by sci-fi. And of course that, you know, that, that aspect was removed and, we all know what happened to Stargate. It right. went on to however many different series it had. And, 37 or something. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it was fairly long running. So I think it could involve those things, but in my heart of hearts, I don't think it will involve those things. I don't think it's going to be something that's going to be blatant like Game of Thrones or something like that, but it's possible. I mean, we saw something close to that in Enterprise with T'Pol when they would be in the decontamination chamber, and, and there's been there's been swearing in, in all of the Star Trek movies pretty much, uh, at least a little bit. So it is definitely in the Star Trek universe, and it might just be something that we'll, we'll see uh, on the new all-access show because they don't have the same guidelines as regular television. I guess we'll have to wait and see. We will, and uh, May is fast approaching. I look forward to uh, firing up CBS All-Access to watch uh, Star Trek Discovery, and we look forward to the launch of our second show in May, Talking Trek. Talking Trek. With uh, executive producer Dan Davidson. So that's two shows you were the mastermind of now. Wow, maybe I'll give you a promotion over there someday. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, let's move on. I'm going to skip around the uh, the outline a little bit. We're okay. going to go to... Um, Dan, one of our favorite games is now available to play through the biggest social media platform in the world. I am so excited about this. Of course, you know, Bill, how much I love playing Star Trek Timelines. I actually was playing right before we signed on to do the podcast this morning. 
Uh, every weekend they have fun events, and the, the event this weekend is a lot of fun, so I'm playing. But if you don't have a mobile device or you don't have it with you, if you forgot it, you just go to your, your closest PC or wherever you can get your access to online, and you go over to Facebook, and you can play Star Trek Timelines. Pick up right from where you left off on the last device you played on. Boom, bang, pow. Star Trek Timelines on Facebook. Check it out. Awesome. I think that's pretty huge for them. I, oh. you know, it, it certainly makes playing a little more convenient. Mm-hmm. I can see work productivity taking a huge hit already, <laughs> especially in the case of one Daniel Davidson, perhaps. No, no, no. Perish the thought. <laughs> no, I, I think it's fantastic news for them. It's uh, the game's been out for for quite a bit now, and I think that this move makes sense. Yeah, and I. I think it's just going to help disrupt your beam grow even more. I think that's what's great about it is this shows the the success of this game. This game has been around for a long time now. It has been continuing to build. They're constantly pushing out new material. And now they're putting it on a platform where everybody on the planet seems to be on. So I think this is a great move for them. And I hope it just continues to get them up that ladder as the best all-time ever Star Trek game. So check it out on Facebook. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, moving along, Dan, speaking of moving along, <laughs> it looks like there's a new box set coming in February, but it's not the box set we were hoping for. No, it's not the box set we were hoping for, but it is Deep Space Nine, so that's always a positive thing. Uh, they are going to be releasing, re-releasing on DVD uh, a Deep, Deep Space Nine box set uh, this coming February, uh, but it is not. HD. It is not remastered, I should say, uh, as we've been looking for for a long time. That's that's a bit of a disappointment. I mean, I get why they're repackaging everything as a box set. Maybe if this, you know, box set sells well, maybe it will convince them to redo DS9 and Voyager, or at least clean it up. I mean, I don't need them to redo the special effects. Yeah, I just need for it not to look blurry on my 60 inch TV when we see the exterior shots. It, it, yeah, that'll be good to see it. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, this is kind of a ho hum one for me uh, because, as as we've talked about so many times, we just want to see that remastered and, and uh, a version of 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 the series. But we'll we'll see. It's it kind of when you say that you know if they if if it's good with the the numbers that it produces that maybe we'll see something. I'm not really sure how big numbers this is going to bring in. To be honest, I mean. It's just it's just a repackaging of something that they've already had, so it's a little it's a little disappointing. Uh, yeah, I think they're hoping that people will purchase it for the additional special features. And- but see, that's what's interesting is there's no real word of any newly recorded bonus content. It does talk about the article on TrekNews.net does talk about what is uh, what are the standout features from the original releases from 2003, but they don't really talk about what is going to be new in this. So I'm hoping that there's at least something in there because if it's just a, you know, I'm going to wrap this in different wrapping paper and give it to you. That's, eh, that's kind of a money grab to me. Yeah. I, um, I can definitely agree with that. I mean, we'll see. Yeah. You know, I I can only hope that it's, it's priced somewhat reasonably. It's going to be available apparently February 7th. So right after the Super Bowl. If you want to put that on your calendar, already. Done. I know I'm excited. I'm about the Super Bowl. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> well, not yet. That'll the time will tell with yeah, that one. That's true. <laughs> Dan, moving on. We had two big anniversaries in the Star Trek world this week, both for movies that were insanely popular. Yeah, it's. I'm old. You're old. 
We, we can say it and we can admit it. But uh, did you realize that it was 30 years ago that Star Trek IV The Voyage Home came out? I, I didn't until I saw I it this week. Oh, I didn't know that. And that what I also didn't know, and you like were all over me about this, is I never knew, I never saw the the special features or read any articles that Eddie Murphy was supposed to be a big part of Star Trek Four and he dropped out of it to go do the Golden Child. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny because you know that that story hit this week and people are treating it like it's news. Yeah. But- Leonard Nimoy put it in his I Am Spock book 20 years ago. That's, I just I it's, never saw it. That was where I first read it. Oh. And that's something that's been you know, in public knowledge since then. And people are treating it like it's news. Yeah. And, and apparently it is to some people, it, which it, I didn't know. It was to me. And what's funny is The Golden Child isn't a horrible movie. It's one that uh, I always quote with my brother-in-law a lot. It's not the best, but Eddie Murphy himself has actually said he made a wrong decision because he's you know he could have been in part of the Star Trek universe forever, and he didn't like what the character was in the script, so he dropped out and went to do The Golden Child. Well, and look <laughs> look what happened. Hey, he got him Pluto Nash. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So thirty years for Voyage Home, and twenty years for what most people consider the best TNG movie, Star Trek: First Contact. Twenty years old. Uh, twenty years just last week, and actually. it hasn't aged. No, it really hasn't. I, no. I think that it holds up, you know, amazingly well. Probably more so than some of the other movies. I agree. Um. I remember seeing it opening weekend, mm. and I went back to see it twice more that same weekend. Um, and I saw it again, like in February, in a dollar cinema <laughs> in Meredith, New Hampshire. And I was the only person in the theater. And it was just before it left. And I just, I remember, it's like I can't wait for this thing to come out on VHS. <laughs> I did not. I did not get to see it opening uh, weekend. I was not around. Uh, in a position to watch it, which is neither here nor there. But I will give you an interesting stat. Yeah. It was the highest grossing movie on opening weekend with a gargantuan $30.7 million. It's amazing to see what box office stats have done since then. Unreal. You got movies making $200 million in the first weekend now. <laughs> yeah. With budgets that, you know, are twice that. Yeah. Um. It took in total, total, the whole time the movie was in theaters, brought in $146 million worldwide. Wow. And it's considered to be one of the top Star Trek films ever, and it only made $146 million. That's amazing to me. That That is truly amazing. I'm still... You know, focusing on that thirty million the opening weekend—that's that's just that's incredible. I know there was a six fifty that wasn't there for me. <laughs> Wait, you went to the movies when it only cost six fifty? <laughs> I'm just guessing, but I'm guessing probably wrong. <laughs> yeah, probably it's you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, hey, <laughs> hey, hello, everybody. Oh, hoo ah. this 50th anniversary year, Dan, there is perhaps no better way to start closing out our, our, our observance of, of this memorable occasion than to talk about one of our favorite episodes. 
It is definitely one of our favorites. It actually could have very easily been my all-time favorite on the list uh, that we talked about uh, not too long ago with Mr. Jim Morehouse. Uh, but the Doomsday Machine is is just one of the best uh, all-time Star Trek episodes. It's got everything. Um, I could watch it over and over again. It's just so great. And I got to say, before we get into a lot of the detail, one of the things that makes this episode so great for me is the music. Really? Yeah, I love the score in this in this episode. It's absolutely fantastic. Wow, yeah. that's kind of out of nowhere. I never would have thought that. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, in all the the years you and I have been talking about this episode, that's not a quality that's ever come up. No, it isn't. A lot of times, um, I don't really pay attention to the music from the '60s show. Uh, but this episode, it seems that every scene has a very memorable score to it. You get the very beginning when the constellation is on screen and you got the dun it dun it with the with the doomsday machine coming towards the ship and and Decker's got his own theme. It's just it's just phenomenal. Um I know the the gentleman's first name is Saul. I can't remember his last name who did the score, but uh just just great great music in this episode. Well, I have to agree with you. I mean, I think that this episode works on just about every level. It um it's been one of my favorites since I was a kid. I remember the first time I saw it back when, you know, before the, you know, the, the special edition remastered version, whatever you want to call it, was out. And uh, I was just, I was transfixed by it. You know, I remember, I remember the Corbmite Maneuver being my first episode, but I remember this being the one that I probably enjoyed watching over and over again the most. Right. So, um, Rumor has it that you may have put together a synopsis for the Doomsday Machine. It's a possibility. Yeah? Uh, yeah, I got one. Um, it's going to go longer than the three minutes, I can tell you right now, because it is one that's a classic, so you have to spend the time talking about it. So, newsflash. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Well, in which case, Dan, you know, the holidays are upon us, the holiday season. I'm feeling very... Um, magnanimous today we're not gonna start the timer for you buddy <laughs> well i guess it's closer to christmas than i thought it was so uh I, since you have your synopsis ready to go why don't you regale us with the tale of the doomsday machine the enterprise is responding to a garbled distress signal from what's believed to be the uss constellation Arriving at system L370, the crew discovers the entire solar system has been destroyed, seven planets in total. Moving on to the next system, there are two remaining planets and a severely damaged constellation. Kirk, McCoy, Scotty, and a damaged control party beam over to the constellation and find the ship's commander, Commodore Matt Decker, in auxiliary control. He's the only person on the ship, and he's in a state of shock. After McCoy's hypo, he starts to become coherent, talking about a massive thing that attacked the ship. The ship was beaten. He had to evacuate, so he beamed his crew down to the third planet before the transporter gave out. Kirk tells Decker, there is no third planet, to which Decker responds, there was, but not anymore. Kirk theorizes that this giant device is a weapon that he calls the Doomsday Machine. He decides that he and the boarding party will get the constellation ready to be towed, while McCoy takes Decker back to the Enterprise. Upon returning to the Enterprise, both men rush to the bridge, just as the planet killer starts to pursue them. Decker uses his authority as a Commodore to take control of the ship from Spock and attack the device instead of rendezvousing with the captain on the constellation. The ship is damaged and starts to get pulled into the maw of the device via tractor beam. 
Back on the Constellation, Kirk gets the view screen working, sees the battle between his ship and the planet killer, and shoots a now-working phaser at it to break the Enterprise free. Upon re-establishing communication, Kirk discovers that Decker has taken command and chastises him. You mean you're the lunatic who's responsible for almost destroying my ship? After a brief, testy discussion, Kirk orders Spock to take command of the Enterprise on personal authority as captain. Spock relieves Decker, but uh, Decker's not really into it. I don't recognize your authority to relieve me, he states, but he does reluctantly agree and heads off to sickbay for his appointment with McCoy with a sour face. En route to sickbay, Decker actually attacks a security guard, knocks him out, and flees the ship in a shuttlecraft. He plans on destroying the planet killer by exploding the shuttle within the maw of the machine. Kirk makes an impassioned plea for Decker to return, but Decker ignores him and switches off his speaker, just as Kirk says that they are stronger with you than without you. The shuttle is destroyed, and Decker is killed. Enterprise discovers that the energy output of the machine has lowered since the destruction of the shuttlecraft, and Kirk has an idea. He believes that Decker had the right idea, but not enough power in the smaller vessel. With Scotty's help, they set the impulse engines to overload on a 30-second countdown timer, and he sends Scotty back to the Enterprise, sets a course for the planet killer. Scotty arrives on the Enterprise, and the transporter shorts out again. As the Constellation gets closer, Scotty jury-rigs the transporter, and Kirk throws the switch to begin the countdown. But hey, guess what? The transporter goes out again. With smoke and everything. It's pretty cool. Scotty climbs up the Jeffries tube, cursing as he tries to fix the device. As Kirk says, Gentlemen, I suggest you beam me aboard. The constellation gets swallowed by the planet killer. Scotty tells Kyle to energize as the ship explodes and the planet killer appears to be deactivated. The transporter team works to recover the captain, and they do. He runs up to the bridge to see the now dead doomsday machine. And as they discuss Matt's sacrifice, Spock wonders if there are any other of these devices wandering around the universe. Well, I hope not, Kirk says. I found one. Quite sufficient. That was fantastic, buddy. Great job. Hey, it's a good show. Good show. Well, I, know, mean the, it, I mean the episode, not me. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just hired help. Hey, your impersonations were fantastic. I just want to add that. <laughs> you know, here's something I've always wondered about the Enterprise. You know, in this episode, it's the only time anywhere in Star Trek we see the transporter essentially explode in a puff of smoke. It's a pretty cool effect. A couple times. <laughs> it makes me wonder, what would happen if somebody were on the pad when that happened? Well, maybe we should find out, Bill. Uh, oh. <laughs> well, I want to report, you and I have stood on a transporter yes. pad in two different states. Yep. And that did not happen. It didn't. But uh, there's always the first time. Yeah, I can only hope that you're somewhere within the damage path. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that is kind of funny how that happens and uh, and the the smoke and I think it's on three different uh, standing stations that the smoke uh, explodes out of. It's pretty cool. I uh, I remember the sound effect to that. You know when I, <laughs> you know when I I went back and I watched it uh, this past week. I was like, oh yeah, I love that. <laughs> I just brought back my entire childhood with that one sound effect. Nice. It was phenomenal. Nice. <laughs> you know, I think that one of the advantages we have now as adults watching this episode is the amazing job that the Okudas and their team did with the, you know, the, the remastered version of this episode. It was one of the first ones I watched 
you know, from that remastered series when they were airing on television. And it just, it brought this episode back to life for me in a way I could never have imagined before. There will always be that um, love that you have for the original version when it was done back in the 60s with what they had for special effects. That's always going to be special. The remastered version is everything you wanted the original to be, but they didn't have the technology for it. The Yakutas and their team did such a phenomenal job with this. And I will say, for, as you said, this was the first one I watched with the remaster because I knew that it was going to be something that was going to be awesome. It, it was, was definitely, sorry, it was definitely the litmus test. It was, and it passed every test possible. And watching it again this past week, uh, like you did, I'm sitting there going, oh my God, this is so great. The flyby scenes and when it's actually, you actually get to see the the scale difference between the, the starships and the, and the planet killer. And it just so, it's just so great. You know, usually around this point, we talk about our favorite moments in the episode and we could probably talk for hours <laughs> about our favorite moments in this episode. So we'll try to restrain ourselves a little bit. But when you start to think of, you know, your top, three or four moments in the doomsday machine what what scenes come to mind for you well i gotta say i think just about every scene with william windham as decker is a standout scene in this episode he is so great in this episode as the captain that's lost his crew who's dealing with that guilt uh, the best scene, of course, I think is the is the scene in the auxiliary bridge when when he finally gets the hypo and he's talking to Kirk about what what the doomsday what he saw as the doomsday machine. He's just he's he's lost it and and you can see the, the you know there's each spittle in his mouth and and the the look on his face the tension. It's just, he is so good in this episode. It was raw and it was real, and you know you felt that he was incredibly tortured mm -hmm. you know and it's kind of interesting because with anybody else playing captain kirk Wyndham might have seemed like he was overacting <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah, absolutely yeah but it was spot on you know don't you think i know that <laughs> it That's, was but not anymore not anymore <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that whole scene you know he looks like he's got about three days of growth on his face yeah. for his beard you know, he looks like it looks like he's been through hell, and then you hear him open his mouth, and it just confirms what you suspect. Yeah. And it is, it is some standout work by William Wyndham. I mean, I don't know what the Emmy Award landscape was like back then, but I know that these days, you know, Emmy Awards for guest stars are a very real thing, mm -hmm. and and people get them all the time. And he should have certainly at least received a nomination for his performance in the Doomsday Machine because it is just amazing. His dialogue and emotion is amazing. And one of the things that I like most about that scene, besides the there was but not anymore, is when he starts, when he's trying to talk and he can't, he's got his arm out and his mouth is open and he's just like, ah, he can't even talk. It's perfectly acted. Just great. It really is. You know, I... I love that moment. I love the, uh, I love how, how Kirk is just, you know, he's got Scotty, he's got the other guy and that other, that poor other guy. <laughs> Scotty's like, come with me. And Kirk is like, no, stay here. We got to get this going. I need to see what's going on. <laughs> need to get that view screen working. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, you, why would you want engines or anything? You got to have the view screen, Kirk. <laughs> I, uh, I love the moment back on the Enterprise where, Decker is in the command chair and Spock and McCoy are sitting there and it's the whole discussion of, well, he could be relieved of command. And McCoy's like, I'll, I'll certify that right now. 
And that to me is, uh, I've seen Larry Nemechek quote that. Oh, Larry Nemechek is perfect in this scene quoting it. It's great. Uh, and that scene is just is phenomenal. Spock is caught between a rock and a hard place in the chain of command. And they both know what ought to be done, but they are both somewhat powerless to make it happen mm-hmm. at this point in the episode. The toe, the toe t- uh, jumping or the whatever that's called that McCoy does is is hysterical because he's so oh, mad yeah. he can't even talk. He just walks off. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very subtle thing, but one of the things I love about this, and it shows people's nervous habits, the way that Decker chews on those data cards when he's in command of the Enterprise. I just think that's hysterical. Yeah, I, and I've noticed that in other films, um, uh, that the, the captains of vessels seem to have something that, you know, they use, I don't know if it's a thinking device or whatever it is, but they have to have something that, I don't know, they can manipulate or, or, or play with in those high critical moments. And I don't know, I don't know why. Yeah. But they work that into Wyndham's character, and I think it works amazingly well you know here he is using these data cards and you're like what what the hell is he doing but he's he's focused he's resolute you know he's he's sort of it's they're almost it's almost if they symbolize the gears working in his head in that scene very good nice visual thank you thank you so let me ask you this dude yeah what's your favorite line in this movie because there's so many memorable quotes in this movie in this uh, not movie in this episode uh do you have a favorite um Wow. <laughs> there are just so many. Yeah. I, uh, and I'm almost all by him. They are, but, you know, as I've gotten older and I've seen this episode more times, I appreciate some of the moments from the series regulars. You know, like when Spock is telling him, you know, he'll have him removed from the chair, mm-hmm. essentially. That has become one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing because Spock finally has the wherewithal to get this guy out of the chair. Right. And Decker is like, you know, you're bluffing. <laughs> and it's, you know, Vulcans don't bluff. <laughs> and those three lines delivered perfectly by Leonard Nimoy, or three words delivered perfectly by Leonard Nimoy, had become three of my favorite words in the entire episode. Nice. Because we knew Vulcans didn't lie before. But Spock, you know, really drives it home when he bring, you know, waves down the security officers and essentially is like, dude, I'm going to drag you out of that chair and embarrass you in front of everybody if you don't step out of it yourself. It's funny. We, we definitely think along the same lines because, you know, there are so many quotable and, and famous uh, lines in this, but my favorite line of this episode is from that very scene. Oh, wow. And I did it in the synopsis. The way that the music plays and the way that uh, Decker kind of is moving his body when he goes, I don't recognize your authority to relieve me. And he just stretches across the chair to, like, ignore Spock. Best scene and best line of the episode. (laughs) The way you deliver that line is (laughs) And then you get the music. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that line to death. It's great. I'm going to have to start using that to you. When you tell me to do something. Uh, normally, you just say it with a lot more colorful metaphors <laughs> nice. to invoke Star Trek for the voyage home and its 30th anniversary. <laughs> Great. Oh, that's good. You're welcome. <laughs> I, uh, there's, there's so much to love about this episode. I mean, Norman Spinrad wrote an amazing script You know that, that still works today. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit Moby Dick, yeah. but that's not bad in this case. 
you know, Star Trek First Contact is a little bit Moby Dick, and it's still one of people's favorite movies. This is one of people's favorite episodes. It's in our top tens. Um, there's a reason why that, that's, that type of story works, and it's because it tells you something about characters. Um, and, you know, the more you learn about Decker, he, he makes quite the transformation in this episode from the start to the middle to the end. You know, he starts off as this, this man who's beaten and broken and battered and racked with guilt to this guy in the middle who is out for revenge at whatever cost possible, including the crew of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And at the end where he's just like, well, you know, I've, I've got to do something to assuage my guilt. Here, let me drive this shuttlecraft down the mouth of this, this planet killer. Right. It's, they're almost like three separate characters in a way. And I didn't really notice that until watching it this week. You know, it's just very, very different portrayals within the same episode. I agree. One of the things that I've always wondered in this, and I know that it's too late at this point of what I'm going to say, you'll understand in a moment, but when he's in the shuttlecraft and he's he's been prepared for death since since he killed his since he killed his crew basically. Um, but it looks like at the last second he's wishing he made a different decision. I mean, you're looking at death in the face and you're about to die, so you're going to be nervous and scared, and he certainly looked it, but it, it, it has always been to me that as he gets closer to uh, the, the planet killer that he's like, oh, I wish I could have made a different decision. <laughs> it strikes me like a family guy cutscene, you know, where he's driving the shuttlecraft down the, the maw of the planet killer, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, wait, I, I'm going to die? <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, I... I was just trying to get the shuttlecraft down the thing to get it, make it explode. Get me out of here. Oh, <laughs> crap. <laughs> Somebody transport me away. Exactly. Um, the, but then again, the, at the same time, the, the looks that he gives uh, are, are, are just another example of what a great job he did in this, in this uh, episode as this character. Um, I always thought it was kind of weird the the special effect as it's just the last time you see him when he's got his hand over his face and it's the is going on on the on the screen that got some weird lighting going on. I thought that was a very odd special effect, but it works. No, it does. Let me ask you this: What did you think of the the planet killer model itself? The giant bugle from General Mills. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's it's so different. You think of a machine, you don't think of something that looks like this, that is this big. How does it work and and, and what drives it and, and stuff like that? But it works because it's so different and it's something that nobody on the crew or viewers of the series have ever seen anything like that before. I think it's, I think it's a great – I think it was a great way to um, visualize – the unknown and the destruction of, of things back in the, of course, back in the day they were talking, they talked about H bombs in this episode a lot. There was that threat going on constantly. Um, I thought it was remarkably done because it was so different. I think one of the thing, the things that strikes me about the planet killer model is the same thing. that strikes me about the probe in star Trek for the voyage home. And it's just coincidentally that we happen to be talking about both of those things this week. You know, they both have the, the qualities of, you know, we don't know where they came from. We don't know what they're supposed to do, you know, until some point in the episode. And we just know that we have to stop them doing whatever they're doing or they're going to kill a lot of people. And I think that, you know, everybody thinks about the probe in Star Trek Four, but 
people don't always stop to think that, well, we had that similar situation with the planet killer and it was a little more dire because there were millions and billions of more people that were going to die. But I've always been fascinated by the planet killer. I mean, I know there's a novel out there that we've talked about, you know, offline um, where it's theorized that it was created to destroy the Borg. Mm -hmm. And I can see that. Um, But you would think they would have an off switch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you would think. Uh, Yeah, the novel's Vendetta. It's a good one. Peter David. Um, One of the things I find interesting about both of those examples that you use is they're basically just geographic or geometrical shapes. Yeah. A triangle and a a cone or an oval. I mean, it's it's just... uh, it's interesting that something that can be that destructive and terrifying is just the basic visual, visual shapes that we see in both instances. It really is. And, you know, you can tell that they wanted to make it something that we'd never seen before. And, and they, I think, accomplished it very well in both cases. Right. So clearly we have so many favorite moments in this episode. Do you have any issues with the doomsday machine because we haven't talked about this yeah well as with any tos episode i think any episode from the original series there can be issues there can be continuity issues there can be all kinds of things and this one is no different there are a few things that i've always been like wait what um one of them is i don't recall any other episode where there's security posted on the bridge like the whole episode even when there's no need to be there there's two officers standing at the turbo lift doors. Yeah. But then that's all of a sudden point. at the very end, they're gone. When Kirk gets back, they're gone. <laughs> well, Kirk's back. <laughs> well, he was, they were there when he was there at the beginning of the episode. Well, I know, but he's back now. Come so, on now. I mean, it's all good. Now, you, you, see, you're not, that's not a very good argument, Bill. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to use Dan Davidson logic. It's failing me Excellent. for okay. obvious reasons. Thank you. So you got the security. That's one yep. issue. The other one is this is really the only episode in the original series, or maybe any episode that I can think of where the Enterprise's fuel situation is constantly referenced. Um, Fuel? Are they looking to pull up to a gas station somewhere along the way? Because you don't really hear that at any other time. And it's not like they were out there a long time. They've gone high warp speeds for long amounts of time and never had a problem with fuel running out. You know, I have to... To you know, suppose at some point they're talking about dilithium crystals. Oh, I agree. To, yeah, they seem to go through those quicker than you know my Fitbit. You know, goes through its charge. <laughs> you know, it's just it's in next gen. It's it's like oh yeah, we got dilithium. It's going to last us forever. <laughs> Whereas in the original series, it's like oh well, there's dilithium there. Let's go get it. Right. How how what did Spock reference? They uh, how many days or hours could they run at high speed? But I mean, in Spock's brain, weren't they traveling at high warp for, I don't know, 20-something hours because they were trying to get to chasing the ship with the uh, ion trail? Uh, right. So right. It's just, it's just a continuity thing. I always, I always find it funny. We can only go so long before we exhaust our fuel. I just love the way he says fuel in that line. <laughs> <laughs> you have issues. <laughs> and um, the last one I'll point out, and then I want to hear yours, is... I understand the drama involved in the final scenes with Decker or with Kirk before uh, he gets beamed to the ship. He's got a 30-second timer. That is the longest 30 seconds ever. And I've even gone through, okay, well, if they're cutting to a different scene, let's stop the timer because it's, you know, synchronous or whatnot. Even doing that, that last 20 seconds takes like a minute and 15 seconds. It's hysterical. And even Sulu counts down slowly. 
Well, it was 1960s math, so <laughs> you have to factor in the exchange rate. Wow. Exchange <laughs> rate. Nice. So. You're welcome. <laughs> what about you, um, man? My issues with this are are few, you know. I, I think there's some more hierarchy-type issues, um, which we're going to talk about when we, we address the central questions in just a second. But um, one of them is... McCoy seems to not know a thing about what a chief medical officer can do and can't do. <laughs> and we know in the past that he knows he can prevent the captain from doing anything. You don't need to have an examination to produce evidence that he's unfit no. for command. You are the chief medical officer. You can say, as chief medical officer, I am relieving you of command, period. Yeah, well, why don't we just get into the central questions now? Because this plays directly into one of my points. Okay. So Decker had just sustained a horrible trauma, and his mental state was already more than questionable. Mm -hmm. Should he have been anywhere near the bridge, nope. and shouldn't McCoy have known that? Yep, absolutely. He saw the way he acted after he gave him the hypo, and he came out of, as McCoy said, he's in a state of shock. State of shock. That's a good song, by the way. Um, uh, <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, uh, he he should have known right off the bat before they even got back to the Enterprise that uh, he was in no state to be anywhere near where he could make command decisions. I would think at that point that he could be relieved instantly, you know, and and there would be the credibility to back it up without an examination. Confine him to sick bay. Get kind of confine him to sick bay. Put him under guard. Put him under restraints if you have to. Yeah. But the guy just you know. It, he was he was a blubbering mess just a moment ago, yep. and now he's sitting in the command chair playing with data cards. <laughs> really, is what it boils down to. Yeah, fire, <laughs> <laughs> veer off. <laughs> that's another one of my favorite lines. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> I always find myself quoting that as the episode happens. And in the enhanced version, it veer the Enterprise veers off. That's even I know. better. <laughs> that's the best part because you never get that sense before. No, not at no. all. No, <laughs> so. Here's another central question. You know, at one point, Kirk tells Spock to relieve Decker, quote, on my personal authority as captain of the Enterprise, end quote. Can he circumvent the regulations just because he's the captain of the ship? Starfleet regulations say that the senior officer on board must assume command. Decker is that senior officer when compared to Kirk. Yeah. Can he have him relieved? Good question. Maybe he was just maybe he was rolling the dice and thinking uh, uh, this might not work, but I got to try something, and it worked. It did. I mean, ultimately, you know, Kirk knows the guy's you know bat guano crazy, if you will. <laughs> you know, but it's like I, I thought it was an odd phrase. You know, he could say just about anything else, but the whole "on my personal authority as captain of the Enterprise" it's like, well, uh, I'm sorry, but. Um, Starfleet regulations <laughs> kind of trumps that every day of the week. <laughs> well, you also got to you also got to take into consideration. Yes, that you're absolutely right. If that's what the regulations are, boom, regulations are regulations. They don't have they can't communicate with Starfleet because of the planet killer's interference. He's taking you know he's he, he's not on his ship. He's seeing his ship getting possibly destroyed by a guy who's bat guano crazy, which may be the best quote of this episode. Uh, <laughs> so. I take it as he's he's taking a risk and he's going to see if if he can if he can somehow get Spock to get him to relinquish command and it and it eventually works. Is it because of Spock or because of Decker? I think it's because of Spock. 
the whole I do not wish to place you under arrest. Um, and who knows? With I mean, you could get into a whole psychological debate over what's going on in Decker's head. Is he remembering that he's got the higher? I mean, he does say he's talking to a senior officer, Kirk, at one point, but he doesn't say superior uh, or or higher officer than than captain. So maybe in his state of mind, the way he is, he just I don't know. Forgets not the right word, but. Well, but we know Commodore supersedes Captain on the org chart. Right. Absolutely it does. But with everything going on, he's trying to destroy this thing. He just lost his crew. Spock's breathing down his neck. McCoy wants to relieve him command. Those data cards probably taste terrible. What uh, What is he thinking in his head? And finally he just says, okay, I might as well relinquish command because I'm going to go steal his shuttlecraft and destroy the thing myself. I've always thought it was because of Decker. Because Decker finally got to that point where it was undeniable that he shouldn't be anywhere near that chair and that he was going a little crazy. And Spock was left with no other choice, no other logical choice than to relieve him. Whereas before, Spock knows what the regulations are and he reminds Kirk about them pretty often. Yep. And I think at that point, Spock's hand was forced. So yeah, Spock did take the action. But from my perspective, it's always been because of Decker's... um, craziness for want of a better word actually you know what i'm gonna counter that with something if i may okay yeah um we know that he's crazy after what's gone on and what's happened to him but you gotta wonder if you want to deep dive into what he's thinking at the time maybe he's at the point where he's in the chair and he knows what's going on he sees what's happening he's everybody's coming at him from every angle maybe he's to the point where i can't do anything from this chair they're not gonna let me I'm going to go do something else. Fine. You take command. I'll, quote, go to sick bay, but I have a plan going on, and I'm going to take care of things. Well, that's definitely possible. I mean, that's still Decker's action, though. Well, that, I know, but do you think that in his head, he's finally at the point before he gives up command that I'm going to have to do something because I can't do anything from this chair. So I'll pretend that I'm you know, giving in, but I'm going to go do something else. That's kind of a thought process of somebody who's not lost it and has not lost his crew and his ship and everything, but you know, just one of those possibilities. I think it's definitely possible, but then he does a very quick turnabout from that in the shuttlecraft. Exactly. Yeah, he sure where- does where he talks about his guilt and how he should have died with them, mm-hmm. essentially. So it's it's hard to say. I mean, perhaps if this episode had been a little longer, they may have been able to flush some of that out a little better. Mm. But that's hardly a failing of the episode. Oh, no, absolutely not. No. So, yeah. and then my last central question, which I thought was was an interesting discussion point, was, you know, Kirk says to Decker, we're stronger with you than without you. And my question is, are they really? I think he, I think that was just a way to try to get him to stop doing what he was doing because I definitely don't think so. I don't think so either. At least not from this point going forward after what happened with the Constellation. There's no way they'd be stronger with him. He's done, in my opinion. He would have been never commanded again because of his state of mind. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think it was Kirk's respect for Decker mm-hmm. and his – well, he's got some admiration for Decker there too. And I, I think that's what drove that, but I – I thought it was an odd line from Kirk. You know, he's not the kind of guy that normally <laughs> would tell another Starfleet officer something they just wanted to hear to get him to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, he'll get to, uh, if Decker were to pull away and be rescued, he would have been able to see Kirk take command of the Enterprise from his son later. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, you know, it would have been like Kirk, you know, saying something to the effect of, Matt, you're a madman. <laughs> You'll, 
Kill yourself. Get out of there. They're very good. Oh, that's so good. That's good. <laughs> You're going to destroy We're- my shuttlecraft. I want that one. <laughs> it's the Galileo. I love it. <laughs> I don't even know what shuttlecraft it was. I was going to ask which one was it. Good point. People are going to email us. Yep. People are going to call us. Okay, I admit, I just was talking off the top of my head. That's okay. It happens. Um, I'll forgive you this time. I, I will say I do know it's it's an auth- an unauthorized launch of a class F shuttlecraft, Ooh. whatever class F is. Okay, very nice. So See, you got the knowledge, Trek geek, stump the geek, <laughs> stump the geek. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, any final thoughts on the Doomsday Machine? Um, I would have to say that. There are not many episodes that top this one. As we saw in our podcast a couple weeks ago, it is just one of the best original series. It's one of the best of all of the series. It's so well done. It's great acting. I love Shatner in this one as well. Um, It's a great adventure story. It's got drama. It's got, oh my God, edge of your seat tension at the end. It is one that you cannot miss. You have to watch it. You, if you don't, if you, I, we, we never like to say negative. If you don't like this episode, I sure as hell want to know why, because it is one of the best. I have to agree with you there. I mean, you know, there are a lot of things to like about this episode. There are a lot of you know, things that are different about this episode. There's no Uhura. There's no Chekhov. You, know, you get Palmer the whole episode, yes. which is cool. Yep. You get amazing guest performances by William Wyndham. You get solid performances from Shatner and Nimoy and Kelly and and Dewin and everybody involved. This is one of those, if I'm sitting down to watch TOS, this is going to be one of the first episodes that I think of because it's just, it's rock solid all around. Absolutely. I can remember back in the day when I had all of the single episode VHS tapes lined up on my wall with those bright blue and pink orange covers (laughs) and i'd have them all lined up and whenever i was trying to figure out what one i would want to watch more times than not i probably would grab this one because it's just that good this one when we first started talking about star trek continues i referred to it as comfort food for trekkies Mm -hmm. the doomsday machine is absolutely comfort food for trekkies absolutely you know it, it is you know on a list of episodes you can watch time and again and never tire of and it tells you about the best of what Star Trek is, I think. 100% agree. Dan, there's another thing that you and I are in 100% agreement about, and that is how awesome our friends in the band Five Year Mission are. They are amazing and outstanding, and we love them so much. We are grateful and thankful to them for allowing us to use their, their music in every episode of Trek Geeks, and we want everyone to tweet creation entertainment or email them or hit them on facebook and let them know that you want five-year mission back as the official house band for stlv 2017 we just we gotta make this happen so go on out to fiveyearmission.net score yourself some tunes and then fire up that browser and let creation know how much you love the band absolutely and i think fark actually dropped a little hint without realizing it or maybe he did it on purpose i don't know he's got quite a mind that guy that uh, they're working on a and the children shall lead song isn't that something i think it's phenomenal it's going to be way better than um <laughs> the episode <laughs> well speaking of fark I uh, I decided to do something a little bit different this week. I didn't watch a TOS episode. 
Really? I watched a TNG episode this week. Why? So you're branching out. I'm uh, branching out, yeah. It was a great, it's a great episode. You know, season three. The season three is good. They got the new uniforms and, and the Picard maneuver with the shirt is always good when you see that in the new, uni- in the new uniforms with season three. Hollow, oh, Pur- sure. Hollow Pursuits. Good episode. Fun stuff. Holodeck episodes are always interesting, right, Bill? I know you love them. I do. I yeah. love Holodeck episodes. This one was especially great because it had our favorite stuttering drummer, Mr. Farkley. Oh, boy. Mr. Farkley? Mm. I, no? Little? So does that yeah. mean when Data explains the concept of metathesis that they would have been calling him Ensign Farkley or Lieutenant Farkley? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Excellent that, report, Mr. Farkley. I just, that, that, oh, my God. <laughs> At least I watched TNG. That'll make some oh. people happy. Oh, y- yay for you. <laughs> I feel bad for the rest of us. Oh, come on Damn. now. I'm going to have to. Can you just picture Fark in, in that uniform on the holodeck sitting on that swing with Beverly? <laughs> can you just picture a world where you actually try with these Farkisms? <laughs> Ouch. So yeah, everyone, please let's <laughs> let's get in touch with Creation. Let's do what we can to make Five Year Mission the house band again. They really bring an amazing vibe to the stage, and it really elevates the convention experience. I mean, uh, I'm saying that firsthand, Dan. You got to see it firsthand yourself this year. Yeah. Let's uh, let's do everything we can because we really want those guys back. Absolutely, do it, Dan. What's that? Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Another thing that we want people to do is to head on over to iTunes and and uh, blah, blah, subscribe and review to the podcast. Wow. I've got Dan Davidson disease there. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and um, you can head on over to trekgeeks.com slash iTunes and find out all the information on how to subscribe to the podcast and send us a review. And Dan, people could win something special. They could win something special. Uh, $25 is good, especially around the holidays. You know, use it on yourself like Bill would do or use it on somebody else that you love like I would do. Uh, but uh, we're going to pick a winner. And uh, they're going to get a $25 Amazon gift card or the equivalent of whatever money they use in whatever country they may be in if they're not in the United States. I can't believe I said that without screwing it up. Neither can I. Yeah, exactly. Like your subscribe thing a minute ago. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> so we love to hear the reviews, whether positive or negative. We want to hear what we're doing right. We want to hear what we're doing wrong so we can fix it and make it an even more enjoyable podcast. So please go ahead over to iTunes and do that review. Subscribe to the podcast. And uh, you got a chance to win some Quatloos. What we're doing wrong, uh, apparently not taking speech therapy could fall into that. <laughs> after that's if my... you want to be on this show. That's a given. Ooh, that was brutal. I don't Ouch. Know. How could I stumble over iTunes subscribe and review? See, I said it fine there. How could I trip over Spock? <laughs> but I do. Fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. Dan, our next episode is our last brand new episode of the year. We'll be following that up with a couple of supplementals while we enjoy the holidays with our family. But um, why don't you tell us what's coming up next week, my friend? This is going to be an interesting uh, episode next week. I'm looking forward to it. The more I've been thinking about it and the more I've been working on our special album cover, it is going to be a brand new Eight Days of Shatnermas exclusive special Trek Geeks extravaganza. Wow. Is all that verbiage on the album cover? Because I think that would be amazing. I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) It is our celebration of all things William Shatner next week. uh, There's a long story of how Shatnermas was born. 
and uh, we'll talk about it then. Beautiful. Sound good, Dan? It sounds, it sounds perfect. I love it. That's fantastic. Okay. Uh, Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out our friends at the Tricorder Transmissions. They are online at the thetricordertransmissions.com. I was just listening to their uh, Gold Key episode from several weeks ago as I catch up on my podcast backlog. And uh, it's they've got some great shows over there with some wonderful Star Trek discussion. We hope you'll check them out. And, of course, for the latest news on everything Star Trek, please head on over to treknews.net. For now, this has been Episode 86 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. I don't recognize your authority to like coconut. I don't recognize your coconut. Wow. Wow, you're jumping in on there. Well, that's just, you inspired me. Oh, thank you. Did you have some surgery since we last talked? <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? Well, we have to have a talk, man. Why? Wow, what's up? Uh, what is with that language at the top of the document for today's show? I'm there's offended. No, there's no language That's there. because you hit the delete key. But I have no I, idea what you're talking I about. I screenshot it, and I'm sending it to the Human Resources Department of Trek Geeks International. How do I know that you didn't type it yourself? Because we can look in the history of the doc, and it'll say that you typed it. You've got my credentials. I don't have your credentials I've for Google Docs. my credentials Docs. just about everything. <laughs> Not for Google Docs. You lie. I don't lie. How do I know you don't have them? You could be lying, Alec. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yesterday, mm. I had a workout from hell. <laughs> that was a great picture. <laughs> so, in a different group, I actually posted what the workout was. So, let me describe it for you. Okay. So, the whole thing, it was called Around the Gym. It's 40 seconds of doing the thing and then 20 seconds of rest four times through the whole program with no breaks. Oy. So it started out with wideouts, which are like the bottom half of jumping jacks, except done really fast. Okay. And then shuttle runs and then overhead medicine ball slams oh. against a wall and then body saws, which you'd kind of like do on a slide board, but I am not ready for those. So I was just holding a plank for 40 seconds, okay. which is hard. I'm sure. Full body weight TRX rows. So essentially you're, you're in a rowing position, pulling up your whole body weight. I'm already tired. Yeah. Wall sits. <laughs> so which, yeah, which you wouldn't think would be that bad. No, I've oh, done no. those. They are tight. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Burpees. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, no, I wasn't saying you burped. <laughs> <laughs> so burpees, and I'm still modifying mine because, you know, I'm still new at this, and they still sucked. Heavyweight goblet squats. So I take, you know, as heavy a, a dumbbell as I can stand, and no, this time it's not you. Uh, and then whoa, I do squats with wow. them for the whole 40 seconds. Where did that come from?
your face. Okay. <laughs> and then I do straight leg sit-ups with a with a plate, so like a, a weight that goes on a barbell. Wow. In my case, it was only like 10 pounds, but still. Um, and that's, so 40 seconds of all of those activities and then 20 seconds off, and then you repeat the cycle. Four times. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, I, <laughs> oh my God. You know, there were plenty of times I wanted to quit yesterday. Oh my God, I can imagine. Plenty of time. I was just, I was, it was a reminder of the things I can't yet do. Yeah. Whereas all the other workouts I had have been like revelations as to what I really can do. Yep. And today I'm over it, but yesterday I was just like, that really sucked. I wish I'd be over you. (laughs) Wow. But Uh, I, you know, I didn't stop and I think that's the main thing. Yep. Yep. So, but you're you're, you're (laughs) kicking it, man. Oh, you're killing it. That's good. It's a good thing I have a massage today. There you go. (laughs) Oh, I'm not going to be down there in time. Well, you're going to have to find somebody else to give it to you. What? What? Whoa, whoa. This just got really awkward. Ouch. (laughs) Well, that's all right. (laughs) Whoa, I'm glad you think so. What are you drinking this fine morning? I am drinking uh, some nice coffee since we're doing a morning recording this week. Some nice coffee. I have some Green Mountain Vermont Country Blend. Oh, that makes me want to like get a banjo and sit around a fire. Wait, you know Vermont, not Kentucky. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. What do they I, play uh, in Vermont? Um, uh, milk tea, uh, cow teats. Peter, <laughs> Paul, and Mary. Ah, there you go. Go to Ben and Jerry's and smoke a doobie. Uh, sure, whatever. <laughs> no judgments here. We love Vermont as long as we're not, it's not their maple syrup. That's right, Vermont. Yeah, it's very nice, very nice state. It's opposite of New Hampshire, which is the funniest thing ever. Inferior in maple syrup. Yes, by far. Well, so what's better, Maine or New Hampshire? New Hampshire. Okay. Says you. Hey. Oh. <laughs> not not helpful. <laughs> I got some thanks to you. Uh, some uh, cinnamon sugar cookie. Oh, I almost brewed that this morning. Let me tell you how much my lovely wife enjoys this coffee. Okay. We went, we couldn't find it on, it wasn't on the Keurig website for a while, so we found it at Bed Bath & Beyond. Oh. Okay. Or as you would say, Bed Bath & Beyond. And uh, so we got like four boxes of it. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's on the Keurig website, and it was on the Keurig website on Cyber Weekend after Thanksgiving. Oh, boy. We just got our shipment of five boxes in the mail uh, the uh, yesterday, I think. And yeah. <laughs> so you're going to be drinking this thing until uh, May. It's very good, though. It really is. Very good. Green Mountain has some fantastic coffee. Yeah, and when we were at, uh, we went to breakfast yesterday, and they were selling bags of um, Coffee by Design is the name of the company, I believe, and they had Maine Maple Sunday available, but not in K cups. So interesting. Yeah, I'm sure that's pretty tasty. Probably as good as my bacon ice cream I made for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Maple syrup bacon ice cream. Oh baby. <laughs> on Donner's Drive-ins and Davidson. That's right. That's what it's on. It's on up there. That's what it sounds like. So. <laughs> so wait, I have a question here. Okay. When you're doing a Guy no. Fieri impersonation, is do you purposefully work in gibberish? Because <laughs> because it sounds legit. I think you have to. Because you don't if you don't because you know me, I don't talk good anyway. Talk good. And yeah, so yeah. you just got to just start <laughs> throwing in stuff. So right now we're going to be driving around Yarmouth and Hampshire. We get Yarmouth and Hampshire. What? Yeah, that's exactly it. So <laughs> there is no Yarmouth and Hampshire, so you have to. You know. Oh, my God. <laughs> I need a minute. 
That's a, oh my god! You remind me. Last night we were uh, FaceTiming my my brother in law and sister are down in New York visiting our awesome cousin and uh, her husband and the family. And uh, so we FaceTime for like an hour last night, just talking and and preparing for vacation this summer and everything like that. And I started impersonating the guy that does the announcements at Market Basket. And I thought my brother-in-law was literally going to pee himself. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. He couldn't even talk. He had his hands over his head, like on his head, and he's he's balder than I am. So he had his hands over his head, just like he couldn't even he could barely breathe. It was the funniest thing. The guy who does the announcements at Market yeah, because Basket? right now what we want to do is we have this huge pallet up front. We got forty-seven cases of Thomas's English muffins. They got butter holes and they got the crisp and crunchy, and they're forty-nine cents for twelve dozen. Never thank you for top Market Basket. <laughs> If you ever go to Market Basket, you're going to hear that in some form. And it's the same voice everywhere, but it's a different employee all the time. Wait. wait <laughs> yes, I know, right? <laughs> I'm just trying to wrap my head around the logic for this. Exactly. It's the same voice everywhere, but it's a different guy. <laughs> yes, that's what I mean. I do mean, you, you just have to be that way when you work at Market Basket. Thank you, Tom, my Patrick. Do you listen to yourself? <laughs> The funny thing is, is, Sue, I didn't realize I'd do this, is is she laughed and says, oh, Don, Chris and Don are like, oh, my God, he does this. Whenever we go to Market Basket, I'll start doing it. And Sue goes, no, you don't understand. He does it when it's just the two of us going to Market Basket. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, you're killing me. That's going to be a fun episode. I'm telling you what. It really is. <laughs> Speaking of which, we probably should do this. Though. Yeah, let's get started. Oh, thank you. Start it Mr. up, EP. Mr. Executive Producer, thank EP, you. EP, you know what? You could be AP. Okay. You are AP. <laughs> I hope we get a, something coming out soon with that, just so that we get it taken care of. Give it time. You ready? I'm ready.